It may be raining, but it's still Friday. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the weekend is getting ready to start, and that means it's time to Ask the Preacher. Ask the Preacher, your chance to have your Bible questions answered. Brought to you by Believer's Fellowship. Ask the Preacher with John Freed. John's out again this week, but sitting in is George Locke. Welcome to the program, all you beautiful people. It is great to be here in studio with you, despite the uh, not-so-great weather outside. Boy, today was uh, about 2 o'clock this afternoon. There was a uh, terrible thunderstorm, lightning going over my office, and uh, it was scary. But uh, it's also pretty cool, man. Lightning... Today, lightning uh, struck my my office, and it's uh, as close as I ever want to be to it. But it was it was pretty neat, pretty cool. Well, welcome to the program. I want to uh, thank you for listening, and I want to invite you to join in on the conversation. You too can be part of radio history and join in by asking a question that is either on topic or off topic. Uh, this is Ask the Preacher. And you can also give your commentary, your thoughts on what we're talking about today. To do that, you can call 863-682-1430. My phone number again is 863-682-1430. And I want to remind you that you can also go to askthepreacher.com. And on askthepreacher.com, you can find the phone number. You can find previous episodes of this program. And you can also submit questions. Uh, so even if it's a uh, Thursday morning or a, a Wednesday afternoon, you can submit your questions to askthepreacher.com, and we will do our best to answer those questions on our uh, next episode. So uh, last week, I had the privilege and the opportunity to be with you folks, and I kind of went over as briefly as I could, as quickly as I could, and in as much detail as time allowed, the whole history uh, of humanity why God made humanity in the first place. What was the purpose of humanity? And we saw the parallels and we saw the commandments and then the law given to Adam and then to the nation of Israel and then to the remarried nation of Israel, which is the church, us, all of us who uh, claim to be followers of Jesus, who walk the way that he walks and received his free gift of eternal life based on his work on the cross. and. I thought it was a, a pretty good episode. It was just so brief. Today, I kind of want to do a follow-up on that. And uh, I, I want to talk about, okay, so last week we discussed kind of the whole timeline of human history, right? And we left off on us, the church in 2023, and how we can have our purpose, the same purpose that was given to Adam in the garden, to take dominion, to be fruitful, to multiply, to essentially reconquer uh, the nations and the earth and bring it under the control of the uncreated God, the God who made everything, Yahweh. And uh, we can only do that through relationship with, with Jesus uh, Christ. And today I want to talk about, okay, so where does that lead us today in 2023? Now, a couple of weeks ago, um, might have been three months ago at this point, I did a study on uh, an Ask of the Preacher episode. We, we reviewed the book of Jude, which I thought was a, a 
a book that is underappreciated and often overlooked. It's um, just before the book of Revelation. And the book of Jude, I think, was uh, placed there intentionally by God in, in most canonized Bibles, um, because typically we think of Revelation as, you know, the, the book that tells about the end of the world and, you know, it's the end times. And, you know, even people who don't really follow the Bible or Jesus, you know, they know about the idea of the Antichrist and, you know, the end of days and all that. And that's a lot of that is taken from the book of Revelation. But the book of Jude is just before Revelation. And what's really neat about the book of Jude Go back, listen to the episode, askthepreacher.com. You can check it out. But it, it gives us an example of what's going to happen uh, to not only the church, but the world in these last days, the falling away, the apostasy, the uh, just ab abandoning of truth that's going to occur in the last days. And then the book of Revelation is just after that. And I want to talk about the book of Revelation today and specifically how it relates to us. Now, before we go any further, I have to place a disclaimer. We have previously talked about the book of Revelation, and there are many interpretations uh, to help you, to, to, to give you some inside baseball, some big scholarly words. Uh, generally, the study of end times will be referred to as eschatology, and there are many views. There's uh, preterist views that, that everything in Revelation happened in 70 AD and it was all allegorical to what was happening um, in the time that it was written or just before it was written uh, and that it's all historical uh, code and analogy. And then there's views that it's something that um, is just all metaphoric and it's all, you know, uh, spiritually based and it's not supposed to be taken literal. And then there's different views of, yes, it's supposed to be taken literally. And, and you know, there's all kinds of different views and interpretations on it. We're not going to tackle those controversial ideas today. I want to tackle what I think most people can agree on. And I'll give some of my opinions throughout, but I want to tackle the, the core um undisputable things about Revelation. And so there's no better way to start it uh, than to actually read from the book of Revelation. And before we do that, I'll just give you some backstory. So the book of Revelation was written by John the Apostle. He was uh, often referred to as John the Beloved or the Beloved Disciple. He's the same guy who, when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus said, John, take care of my mom. And, and mom, John is going to be your son now, and he's going to take care of you. And so John had this special relationship with Jesus. They were best friends. And it's kind of interesting that John being called the beloved disciple uh, has this end time revelation uh, given to him. Just like Daniel uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, he was often called the beloved prophet. He was given a special end time revelation. Um, so it's, it's interesting that uh, God's word is true. He says, I do nothing. Uh, unless I first tell my uh, servants, the prophets. And then to those who are really close, he gives kind of a special end time revelation, it would appear. And so knowing that John being exiled or prisoner on the island of Patmos, he received this uh, vision, this revelation, this, this understanding. Now keep that in mind as we read and as we review the book of Revelation, John knew Jesus as his best friend. John knew Jesus as a 
human man who uh, the Bible says went through life like any other human being. He, he uh, you know, had to sleep with, with no place to lay his head. You know, he had to eat. He uh, probably had the the normal fatigues and tiredness of walking around the Middle East, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago. And, and all that goes with that, getting hot and sweaty and dirty and body odor. And he was the son of a carpenter. And he himself was a carpenter before starting his ministry. And, and then John saw him crucified. And John saw his flesh torn from uh, his bones. And John saw him die and 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 then John saw him resurrected and now as John is living his life he's older and he's on the island of Patmos he's now seeing Jesus I'll, I'll use this phrase he's seeing Jesus as he truly is no longer just um a normal you know uh in in the the limited flesh that you and I are uh, currently embodying, but he's seeing Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so uh, the book of Revelation is, is really interesting in that regard. And so before we head to a break, I, I want to read it because a lot of times when we look at the book of Revelation, you, you may not know a lot about it. People tend to think it's the scary book. It's got plagues and it's got all the bad things that happen in the end times, but that's not the point of Revelation. Uh, and it's not something that's scary to those of us who are in Christ. And, and here's why. The very first thing about Revelation is this. It's, uh, I'm reading from the ESV version. It's my preferred version, but King James works just as well or anything uh, else that, that is scholarly, at, scholarly accurate. But from the ESV, it says this, Revelation 1.1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must soon take place. He made it known. And the third verse we're going to skip down says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words and keeps the things that are written in it. So there's obviously things that we need to review in Revelation, and we will have a special blessing if we keep it. To find out what those things are, to find out that special blessing promised to those who keep Revelation, stay tuned as we dive deep right after this break. You're listening to Ask the Preacher. Join in 863-682-1430. We'll see you in just a moment. Now let's get back to more of this afternoon's Ask the Preacher. Brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. And for John Freed, here's George. Welcome back to the program, all you beautiful people out there in Radio Land. Hey, just a reminder, you two can join in on the conversation. You can ask a question either on topic or off topic. You can give your commentary or two uh, cents on what we're talking about today. And to do that, you can join in 863-682-1430, 863-682-1430. Today we're talking about the book of Revelation and not all of the... Um, Doom and gloom, as people often refer to it. I, I don't think any of it's doom and gloom, honestly. I find it to be hopeful and encouraging that the, the king is returning. But we're not focused so much on uh, what might be considered the judgments or the tribulation period. I'm more interested in studying what, uh, regardless of your end-time views, whether you believe uh, we will endure to the end um, or whether you believe the church will be removed from the earth for a period of time, no matter what your views are, or maybe you don't have any of those views. 
One thing is uh, unquestionable. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says the purpose of this book is to unveil, basically, who Jesus truly is. And then verse 3 gives us a promise to those who read the book and keep the things written in it. They will have a blessing, a special blessing. Now, there's no other book in the Bible that makes that direct claim, that direct promise that if you keep the things written in this book, whether it's the book of Ruth or the book of Matthew or, you know, whatever, there's no book that says, look, this is special and and, uh, they are all special. Don't mistake my words. But this book makes a special claim. Keep the things written in it and you will have a special blessing. So it begs the question, what are the things that we're supposed to keep in Revelation? If most of the book, or what most people think of the book of Revelation, is all the judgments and the doom and gloom, then what is it that we're supposed to keep? Now, I'll give you one more piece of information before we continue reading and studying Revelation. The book of Revelation was written by John, but there is a portion that was written or I should say dictated by Jesus himself. Now, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record the things that Jesus said, and they record the things that Jesus did. And so they're accurate in quoting him. But in the letters to the churches in Revelation, it's Jesus himself dictating what these letters to the churches should be. Um, So it is John quoting Jesus, but it's quoting him in real time and writing it down in real time. John is just a uh, scribe for the orator. And so it's pretty interesting that uh, if we want to know what Jesus really, really has to say, we should read the book of Revelation and see what Jesus himself is dictating for the churches to do and and not do. And so we're going to look at all of these things, but um, man, we could talk about Revelation for, for days and days and days, but I want to encourage you with this. If you've been listening to the program for any amount of time, you know that I am an absolute nerd when it comes to the Bible. And the foundation of the Bible uh, is the Old Testament. There's no way you could really understand the New Testament, any of it, Even things like, why did Jesus have to come and die on a cross? Why couldn't he have drowned? Why couldn't he have been stoned? Why couldn't he have died of a heart attack and risen? All of the intricacies and the mysteries of God are hard to understand if you don't first understand the Old Testament. And that's true even in the book of Revelation. To give you an idea, there are 404 verses in Revelation. 265 of those verses allude to 550 Old Testament verses. So more than half of Revelation is uh, a reference to or a direct quote from the Old Testament. There's 53 quotes from Daniel and 43 quotes from Psalms, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Exodus, Jeremiah. They're all quoted uh, more than a dozen times. So it's vitally important that we understand the Old Testament before we can really look at the New But again, what I'm most interested in is the churches. Now, there are seven churches mentioned in Revelation, uh, chapters 1, chapters 2, and what is uh, 
assumed by many scholars, whether this is correct or not, is that each church is representative of a church age. And that could be true. Each church is a physical, actual, historical, real church that was alive and and actually existed with real people when John wrote this in most likely AD 95, AD 96. And then the church is also symbolic. Uh, each church in Revelation is symbolic of our local body, my church, your church that you attend. And the church is symbolic of me personally. What is it that I need to hear? What is it that I need to to uh, listen to, right? Going back to chapter 1, verse 3, what is it that I need to keep in this book to get the special blessing? So we're going to review all of these churches and, and, and look at all this. And I want to start by looking at the very first church. And so in Revelation, <clears throat> excuse me, in Revelation uh, chapter 1, we, we see all of uh, the revelation that is given. And, and real quick, John, uh, we're going to skip down to, to 1 verse 9. It talks about uh, John being a, a brother and a partner in this tribulation. And he he sees the Lord and he... Uh, we're skipping down to, to verse 12. We're just kind of skimming here. He heard a voice that was like thunder and it spoke to him. And there were seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, there was one like a son of man. And he had a uh, long robe and a golden sash around his chest. And his hair was like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like bronze refined in a fire. And his voice was like that of many roaring waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like that of the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at my feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. And I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, those uh, that are to take place after this. And so we, we see this description of Jesus. No longer is it just the uh, meek, limited in, in, in uh, frail human form carpenter that John knew on earth, but he's seeing Jesus in his full glory, eyes like fire, uh, speaking with voice of, of many roaring waters. And, and so what a neat uh, description of Jesus and, and really kind of the, the power, the authority uh, that he is displaying and he will continue to display. And he's telling John, hey, go ahead and, and write down these things. Verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So right here, chapter one is setting up for us what is actually happening. And we're going to start to dive deep on the churches when we come back from this break. Join in on the conversation. Ask a question on topic, off topic. Give us your commentary for today. 863-682-1430. Hang in there. We'll be back in just a few moments. Now, let's get back to the second half of this afternoon's Ask the Preacher. Brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. And for John Freed this afternoon is George Locke. 
Welcome back to the program, all you beautiful people. Hey, just a reminder, you can join in on the conversation, ask a question on topic, off topic, or give us your commentary on what we're discussing today. 863-682-1430. 863-682-1430. Oh my goodness, we only got two segments left and I haven't even started talking about the churches. So just as a recap, in case you're joining in on the program and you missed the first two, last week we talked about the whole timeline of human history, God's plan, why were we created in the first place, uh, what is our purpose as humanity. Today we're looking at the uh, th- that purpose started in Genesis 1-1 when, when God told Adam and Eve, take dominion, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Then we, sh- we, we kind of went through the human history Check out that episode on askthepreacher.com. Today, we're looking at the last book of uh, the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we're not focused on all the the judgments and the the tribulation period or any of that. We're looking at what Jesus himself uh, dictated, the letters that he wrote to the seven churches, and we're looking at Revelation 1, chapter 1, and Revelation chapter 2. And, and so we talked about chapter 1 already, and now we're going to dive deep into the churches. Now, I mentioned how a lot of scholars believe that uh, each church, there are seven of them listed here in Revelation chapters 2 and chapters 3. Many scholars believe that each church represents a period of time, a, a uh, church age, if you will. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to briefly explain what most scholars uh, would say those church periods are. And then we're going to look at um, the patterns of these churches. For almost all of them, uh, Jesus, again, is the one writing the letter. Uh, John is just the the scribe who is hearing and writing down. Jesus is the one talking to these churches and for almost all of them, he says, uh, hey, here's what you guys are doing good. Proud of you. You know, here's my concerns for you. Watch out for this. Um, and, and you know, hey, stop messing up here. And so we're going to look at that because if we have a special blessing for those who read and keep the things of this uh, book, we, we should probably know what we're supposed to be doing. And so the church ages go like this. The first church mentioned is the church of Ephesus. Many people would say that that is the apostolic age. It is the, uh, from Pentecost, if you will, uh, until the very last uh, apostle, direct disciple of Jesus, John, dies somewhere around uh, 96 AD, maybe, maybe 100 AD. After that is the church of Smyrna, which is the age of persecution, the, the, the biggest age of persecution in the church, which would have been from 100 AD to 300 AD. After that is the church of Pergamos, which might be the, uh, the imperial church age from 300 to about 600 AD. Then you have the age of the papacy, the rise of Catholicism from about 600 AD to 1500 AD. Then you have the... Uh, Church of Sardis, which is the Reformation age. Then you have the Church of Philadelphia, which is kind of the missionary age of the church, which would have been about 1700 to 1900. And then you have the final church mentioned, which is the Laodicean church. Uh, Laodicea, that's the age of apostasy, which many would argue happened uh, around the 1900s and is the church age that we're currently in. Now, you can disagree with that theory. It is just a theory. Um, it, it seems to make sense, especially as we look at what is written about each church. Uh, but 
That is a thus thinketh people, not a declared statement by by Jesus. What we do know is that uh, Jesus is writing to these churches. They are the the uh, lampstands the uh, that are held in his hands, and then there are angels to each of these churches. That was in, in chapter 1. So let's start looking at chapter 2, verse 1, the church of Ephesus. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to read the entire chapter. So I'm going to give you uh, some points of interest. I'll reference and read a couple of verses, but it is your job to not believe anything I say. You shouldn't believe anything that anybody says. You should always, like the Bereans did, according to Scripture, they searched out the Scripture to see if, they th- if these things be true. So I encourage you to do the same. But if we look at the church of Ephesus, this is the apostolic church age. The, the first thing that God does is he... Uh, addresses a concern. He says, you know, nevertheless, uh, this is verse four, chapter two, verse four, nevertheless, I have somewhat uh, against you because you have left your first love. And, And so then there's this exhortation that he gives in the next two verses. He says, remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy lampstand, thy church, out of its place, unless you repent. Verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, but if thou hast, and, and if thou hast the deeds, uh, and if thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaeans, uh, which I also hate. So he's he's telling this church of emphasis, the apostolic church, hey, hold to sound doctrine, repent, do what was originally uh, commanded, you know, the Great Commission, what I told my disciples. Stick to those things. Um, the Nicolaeans, that's a uh, conversation for a different day. There's there's many ideas on who they were, what they represented. But we do know one thing for sure. Jesus did not like the things that they did. Uh, he, he was not a fan of the Nicolaeans. Uh, so let's not do those things. But his, his concern is that we... Uh, stick to the first works, that we stick true to Acts, which is something that is near and dear to my heart personally, because, um, well, let's just look at the book of Acts real quick. In in chapter five, we see that um, everybody in the church was a participant in capitalism. In chapter five, everybody sold their private land, according to Acts chapter five, verse four, they took that private capital and they used it to benefit the family of God. Yeah, it wasn't socialism. It was private capitalism supporting God's family. And I think it is so appropriate and so necessary that we today, especially in America where we have the uh, fortunate uh, blessing to vote with our dollar, Stop giving your money to people who espouse and promote godlessness. Start giving your money to people who uh, not just have a political alignment with you, but people who are part of your eternal family. Let's return to Acts chapter 5 and use private capital and capitalism to support our family, our eternal family, those of us who are in the body of Christ. Continuing on, uh, looking at the Church of Emphasis, that's the apostolic age. One thing we need to do is return to, to how they did church, in my opinion. Uh, and then we're going to look at, at chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. It's this other church, the Church of Smyrna. Smyrna means uh, literally suffering or death. That's the, the translation from the, the Greek. 
Um, so it's interesting, and, and it's a reason that scholars believe this is the persecuted church. And what's when you look at the history of Smyrna, the pagan worship that was occurring there, um, it kind of gives that that illusion that this could could very well uh, be the persecuted church age. But in verses uh, eight and nine, there's a title. Uh, in verse eight, there's a title of Christ. He calls himself the first and the last, which is pretty interesting because it uh, harkens back to what we read in Revelation chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, 17 and 18, Revelation 2, 8. And then uh, again in Revelation 22, it talks about uh, who was dead and alive. Isaiah says the first and the last, um, the Alpha, the Omega. So Christ is reiterating his eternal title, if you will. Verse 9 gives a commendation. Uh, and basically, th- this is a very interesting one to me, that the commendation to the persecuted church was this. I know your works, verse 9, and the tribulation and the poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blaspheme of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. And I will give my two cents on this. Many people believe that to be a reference uh, to churches who try to take Jewish culture and there are many who believe there is a distinction between genetic Jews uh, and the church. I, I take it differently. Um, just because you're genetically Jewish, you're ethnically a descendant of Abraham, does not mean you're part of God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus and Paul uh, all tell us that if you don't have relationship with Christ, you're cut off. You have nothing to do with him. And in fact, a true Jew is one who is in relationship with Jesus. So my challenge to all of us is, what is our identity? If our identity is Christ, then we are the Israel of God. And if you are the Israel of God, all the promises of of Israel are yours, Uh, not based on your work, but based on your relationship with Jesus, because you are in him. Uh, He is the vine. We are the branch. He is Israel and we are in him. So it's interesting here that um, John is making this distinction. Look, just because you're genetically, ethnically Jewish doesn't mean you're actually a true Jew. A true Jew is one who has entered relationship with Jesus. We're going to tackle the other churches when we come back from this break. Folks, you are listening to Ask the Preacher, 863-682-1430. Hang in there. We'll be right back after this short break. Fourth and final segment of Ask the Preacher is up, and it's brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. And for John, here's George. Welcome back to the program. Folks, we only got a few minutes left in the show, but I want to encourage you, uh, if you enjoyed today, if you're enjoying today's conversation, let us know. Uh, Go to askthepreacher.com, give us your your comments, call in, let us know that you're enjoying the content, or uh, uh, if you're not, let us know that as well. So today we're talking about revelation and again, not all the the judgments and and the wrath and all that. We're talking about the special promise in the book of Revelation that if you keep the things uh, in this book, you will have a special blessing. So what are those things that we're supposed to keep? What are those things that are are, uh, mentioned for us to keep? And we're looking at the letters that Jesus wrote. John was the scribe. Jesus was the letter writer, the orator. And we talked about the first church of Ephesus, 
and how they needed to return to the works that they first did. Then we talked about the the church of Smyrna and uh, how that's the persecuted church. One thing that's interesting about Smyrna is they were getting beat up, right? They were they were going through tribulation. They were being martyred uh, like crazy. And, and there's nothing negative that is said about them. There's no um, concern or, or criticism um, that there wasn't a complaint from from Jesus about this church because they were already being beat up. And man, that's that's just like Jesus. You know, the way he always used to minister when he was here on earth was he would give grace to those who were humbled and he would give the law to those who were proud. So that's uh, that's pretty apropos, but he promises crowns of life and that they won't touch the second death, which again is very appropriate considering they were being martyred. They were going through the, the first death, right? Physically being martyred. And now we're going to talk about this third church in the list, which is the church of Pergamos. Now, Pergamus, we've talked about uh, several months ago, uh, but I want to recap because to me, this is the most, um, the one that we see the most in headlines today, in my opinion. Now, Ephesus was a great political capital and Smyrna was a great commercial uh, center and, and epicenter. Pergamus was a religious epicenter. And what's really interesting about this city of Pergamus is, well, one, it, it was uh, arguably where the seat of Satan was or close to it. But there was a deity that was very, very popular in the uh, ancient times when, when Revelation would have been written. And this deity's symbol is all over the place today. If you've ever seen an ambulance, if you go to a medical center of some kind, you will still see this false god's emblem all over our country and all over the world. It's that rod with uh, wings and serpents coiled around it. Now, if there's one serpent, it is the uh, god of commerce. But if there are two serpents wrapped around this rod, it is the symbol of the god Asclepius. And to give a real short explanation, um, f first of all, uh, Satan is real, right? He's a real character, and we talked last week how there are other divine beings. Now, there is no God like Yahweh. There is no God like Jesus. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He is the only uncreated one. But in Deuteronomy 32 and in Psalm 82, the Bible makes it very clear that there are spirit entities that rule over the nations. In fact, Paul tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and uh, spiritual forces that, that rule in the atmosphere and over areas. And so this character of Asclepius is a real entity. And the short of it was this. You would go to the temple of Asclepius with whatever your affliction was. And you would take a medicine. It was a hallucinogenic uh, drink that you would take. You would go into a cave overnight. You would have snakes crawl all over you. Then you would come out of the cave the next day as if you were dead and resurrected. Right? That was the, sim the symbolic nature of it. And you would write on a black stone tablet your testimony that this spirit being Asclepius healed you. And I think it's very interesting that this false God has persisted 
even until this very uh, day, we still see this symbol all over the medical field. You might work in the medical field and you didn't even realize that that was the symbol of another god. Now, here's why it's interesting to me and why I think it's the most relevant for us to pay attention to. Later in Revelation, we, we see this world empire called Mystery Babylon. And Mystery Babylon is a global empire that takes place before the Antichrist ever comes on the scene. And what we know about Mystery Babylon is that she, this empire, deceives the whole world through her pharmakia. That word sounds like pharmacy. It means sorcery or magic, but it's where we get our word. Pharmacy, pharmakia, medicine, drugs, medicinal things. And so it's very uh, interesting to me that this false god is still influencing our medicine and the whole medical community even to this day. And there will come a time, in my opinion, not the, the too distant future, where you will have to make a decision. You will have to say, am I going to trust Asclepius and Asclepius's medical uh, professionals, whether they know it or not, do I trust their uh, methods and their pharmacia, or do I trust Jesus? And so what's, what's really interesting is the promise that is given. Uh, the exhortation in verse 16 is, repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them. And so God's promise is that he'll give you a white stone. It's a direct opposition to this false God, this false healer. So today we looked at three things. The first church was return to the original church's model. Love one another. Support the family. The second church of Smyrna was endure the tribulation. Know who your identity is. Don't be a so-called Jew, but be grafted into Jesus. Be a true Jew. And then this third church is who is your healer? Is it the world and their system or is it Jesus? So again, if Revelation gives a special promise, it's to keep these things. Through Jesus, we can live like the apostles did. We can see the miracles of God. We can know our identity, and we can trust Jesus for our healing. If you folks want to hear the other churches next week, call in, let us know. Thanks for having us. We'll see you next week on Ask the Preacher.